We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, well, don't, don't make it. We're back. All right, welcome in to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and thanks for everyone uh, for the support so far. If you want to continue to support us, visit the link in the episode notes about BuzzBeat Plus, which is $35 uh, for the year, and you get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and early access to episodes, hours, and even sometimes days before it uh, gets to the public feed. Also, if you are a subscriber, uh, make sure you listen and watch the video on Scoot Henderson uh, on our most recent pod and keep sharing our stuff on social media. Uh, Without your support, we definitely wouldn't be where we are today. So joining us today on today's podcast, today's episode, uh, we've got uh, a guest to chat about the Hornets and their lackluster offseason. We've got James Plowright otherwise known as British Buzz on Twitter. James, thanks so much. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, thanks for having me on. I've been a, a long-time BuzzBeat listener, so uh, yeah, I wanted to tick off the list for finally coming on. And and looking forward to chatting about the, the Hornets offseason here. <laughs> there, there won't be much to talk about, but we will, we will try. Um, but before we get into that, um, you being a Man U fan and me being an Arsenal fan, their most recent game, uh, they actually played against each other uh, most recently. Uh, I, I do have a question for you. Um, what did you think of that VAR decision at midfield? Um, look, VAR, VAR gets a, ba- uh, a bad rap. Uh, I, I, think it was, I think it was the right decision. Um, I, I think Arsenal were better than Man United in that game and we you know, flattered us to win whatever it was, 3-1. But um, but I think I think it was the right decision. You you may disagree. No, I, I definitely think it was a foul. Um, I, I guess the one thing that I struggle with with VAR is like how far can they go back? Um, obviously it was a pretty quick kind of dispossession and 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 you know a change of possession there, and Arsenal scored fairly quickly off of that. But like, mm. what if the possession had ended in a corner kick, and then oh, yeah. and then Arsenal scored off the corner? They wouldn't have checked it then, right? No, ab- absolutely not. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it has to be like involved in like the direct phase of play. There's some like weird referee lingo wording in there. So I think, yeah, direct phase of play, um, which if it had gone out for a corner, then that would have been a new phase. And then that's why you wouldn't go back. But like for the average fan, no one knows these things and you don't want to go reading like the VAR guidelines if you just want to watch, watch, sit down and watch a soccer game. So it's it's complicated for everybody. Yeah, that's that's why I just find it so problematic because it ended in a goal. Uh, they were able to kind of go back to that point and uh, look at it. But yeah, regardless, I, I would agree with you. I think Arsenal looked uh, more threatening. They were... Um, I guess the better team, but obviously in sports, things happen and, and, you know, unlucky bounces here and there. But we will go ahead and transition our thoughts to the Hornets and take a look back on the offseason that was for them. Uh, It basically consists of drafting Mark Williams and signing Cody Martin. Uh, Before we get into like the big picture stuff, what are your thoughts on the signing? Uh, What were your thoughts then or what are your thoughts now on the signing of Cody Martin to those four years, $32 million contract? I don't think it's perfectly reasonable. Um, and I think the fourth year it came out was was a team option or non-guaranteed, one of the two, which I, which I think, you know, yeah. you like it even better. Um, and I think especially for Steve Clifford, Cody Martin is probably the most Steve Clifford-esque player on the roster. And he is the team's best pound-for-pound defender. Um, we saw that last year. Um, and he's just low maintenance, will do his role really well. If the three-point shooting kind of hovers around where it is, then... I think he's the the perfect player. Like he's strange. Like on a very good team, I think you could even see Cody Martin starting. You know, if, if he was on like the Brooklyn Nets and you had Kyrie um, and and Durant and stuff like that, you could even see like Cody Martin starting as just like a pure defense hustle guy. Um, which he's probably not going to start on the Hornets, even though the Hornets aren't quite at that level just because of the makeup of the roster. But I think he's just the perfect guy you want to have around and. Um, I just think he's a really solid, reliable personality, and I think the Hornets want to have that in the part of the program right now. Yeah, you're right about that contract uh, being uh, unguaranteed, non-guaranteed for that fourth year. So for whatever reason, if they needed to get off that $8 million uh, in the 25-26 season, uh, they could definitely do that. But yeah, Cody Martin definitely got, I guess, significantly better from behind the arc compared to his first two seasons last year, shooting close to... 40%. I do wonder how much of that can be sustained uh, this season because a lot of that unlocks what he can do on the offensive end. Uh, if he's knocking down that shot, that helps him with his driving ability. He really likes to get to the rim. That's definitely his preference. And I think that shot helps him get a, in, you know into the lane, off of a pump fake, draw on defenders. He's one of the most, I think, one of the most underrated players on this team with that dump-off pass to the dunker spot or to the big that's cutting down the middle of the lane. He definitely creates high looks for his teammates. And I think that gets overlooked when you look at Cody Martin, because to your point, he is very much a Steve Clifford type of player because defensively he's able to guard multiple positions. And I would agree with you in the sense that he is pound for pound the best player on that end of the court. But uh, you can't overlook some of the playmaking that he does have. He's not necessarily like a primary initiator by any means but I do think he has a little bit of that in him so very interested to see how that shot is uh, maintained throughout the course of the season is he closer to 40% like he was last year or is he like he was in his first two seasons but yes the uh, the contract is very very fair and I think with with the news that came out the other day that the salary cup is salary cap is going to go up by even more than they thought you know, the, the, the signing is just going to look better and better. And you've got the new TV money, I think, in maybe two years, which Cody Martin's contract will still be on the books, on the books after that. 
So really, like, if it's if you think eight million is okay value now, in like three or four years, eight million is going to be like absolutely nothing whatsoever. So I think it works. I, I think the big thing for for Cody is can he evolve that ball handling? You remember in his first summer league season, they played him at point guard and they mm. wanted to see him with the ball in his hands. And I'm still, I don't think they'll kind of start that this year, but I'm still interested as he's now more comfortable in the NBA that, that could he be a potential backup ball handling option on this team down the road? I, I don't know, but it's something I think that we, we, the team will be keen to explore. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So taking a step back, obviously that was like the biggest quote-unquote signing uh, for the Hornets this offseason, which is kind of an issue here. So they've been very inactive. And uh, I actually shared my thoughts uh, when I joined uh, the Knicks Film School pod not too long ago. But I want your thoughts. How, how much of the Hornets inactivity can be attributed to the Miles Bridges legal stuff? And how much of that is just kind of being used as an excuse to not make any moves? And they're just kind of waiting on everything revolving around him? Well, if you want to believe Mitch Kupchak, the, the goal of this offseason was to retain Miles Bridges and Cody Martin. And that was essentially what he said at his draft press conference, that that was what they were looking to do. And they don't foresee them making a splash from free agency. Um, obviously, they resigned Cody Martin. Miles Bridges is the big question mark. So I, I think, I, I will say, I wouldn't always believe what Mitch Kupchak says in press conferences because what he said before is is definitely not always the case. I, I do think this Miles Bridges situation has definitely paralyzed them. I mean, the timing of this, remember, I think it was the night before free agency opened or something of that nature, where like if if you knew it two, two weeks going into free agency, maybe more, but you're still probably fact-finding that point if you're the Hornets, trying to understand what's happened, uh, what could the likely outcomes be. Um, so I, I do have quite a lot of sympathy here for Charlotte's front office. I'm not someone being like, outraged that they're not doing anything um they've talked about developing the players and player development being the the basis for them to get better and i think that's what they're banking on i don't think they're ever planning to make 
major shift this offseason. But I, I, I mean, just from the, the lack of training camp invites, I think Charlotte have the most open roster spots, including training camp. I think they maybe have seven right now, uh, which is the most in the NBA. So I think you're not even seeing guys signed for training camp reported right now. I, I do just feel that Charlotte are in a, a holding pattern um, while they try and get clarity. Now, they can't be in a holding pattern much longer because training camp opens in, what, two, three weeks? So we're going to start having to see something shift here. Yeah, I tend to agree with you in terms of having a little bit more sympathy for the Hornets front office because of this whole situation with uh, Miles Bridges. But I want a prediction from you. Do you think he ever plays for the Hornets or maybe the NBA ever again? Like, Or do you think there's just going to be like a, a minor suspension on the NBA's part? I don't think it'll be a minor suspension. I think it'll be probably maybe one of the biggest suspensions for domestic violence the NBA has seen. Do I think he'll play in the NBA again? Probably. Will it, will it be with the Hornets? I'm not sure. Sometimes, I don't know why, but the way these things sometimes seem to play out is the player kind of disappears from the NBA, the team moves on, and then they kind of latch on elsewhere to another team later down the road where maybe there, was, there wouldn't be quite as big a backlash to kind of if they were to go back to the team they were on when the incident happened. I don't know why that's the case, but it's just how it seems to go. But if I'm, if I'm being cynical they'll reach an out-of-court settlement rather than this going to trial and the trial lasting for however many years. And, you know, Miles has got the money to to, to pay for an out-of-court settlement. And right. it, it's just the way that, I mean, I'm not an expert on the US justice system, but that's where a lot of these things with famous people and rich people seem to end up is non-disclosure agreements and out-of-court settlements. Um, so I, I wonder if it will head that direction, but I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm not sure. Um, prediction, I... The fact that they didn't pull the qualifying offer, which we think they could have done, we don't know. There, there is an option there that the Charlotte's hands are tied until the legal actions are done before they make any decisions. Otherwise, they could be liable potentially for prosecution for kind of wrongful dismissal and stuff of that nature. But there, there is potential that they could have pulled the qualifying offer and they didn't. So the fact that they didn't, I would lean towards he will be back at some stage, at some point. But but I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing just as much as everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and to, to your point, I'm, I'm actually no le- uh, legal expert either. So you being across the pond doesn't really make much of a, <laughs> make much of a difference there. So, uh, But obviously, one move that they do need to make, uh, whether that's through trade or through a signing, is acquiring a backup point guard. Uh, obviously, they can't go into the season with the mixture of Cody Martin, like you mentioned, uh, playing his first summer league uh, with the ball in his hands a lot, and Rozier as really the only ball handlers outside of LaMelo. And uh, they can't really be used that often as initiators in the second group, uh, in my opinion. They obviously need a solidified backup point guard. Now, obviously, the Hornets still have like the non-taxpayer mid-level or the biannual. But at this point, you know, there aren't many options left. And clearly, they aren't really competing against anyone else for the remaining crop of players that are out there. So uh, who would you, if, if you were Mitch Kupchak, who would you pinpoint as the backup one? Would it be Kemba? If Detroit buys him out, would it be Alfred Payton? Would it be uh, Isaiah Thomas? Somebody else? Um, for me, it would be Kemba, probably as a as a no brainer. That's assuming that Lamelo is okay with it, and I I think you do probably have to run that past Lamelo's camp to be like, this is what we're thinking because you don't want to be annoying your franchise player by bringing back the old franchise star. Um, so I, I think. Kemba, just from his leadership point of view, his familiarity with Clifford, he could be a kind of a real conduit, I think, for the team and Steve Clifford. 
He he understands the franchise. Um, again, everyone speaks glowingly of Kemba Walker. Um, I think Isaiah Thomas would be next on my list, even though I, I don't think he's a Steve Clifford type player, but just for the off-court stuff, it's very clear the players on the roster last year really valued Isaiah Thomas and he was very popular. So I, th- I think he would probably be next. And then Alfred Payton, I'm, I'm just really not that interested in. Uh, but yeah, I, I think for me, it'd be Kemba one, clear one, Isaiah Thomas a clear two as, as my options. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, the um, the needle movers are obviously gone. And I actually tend to lean the opposite with the one, two. I, I tend to lean Isaiah Thomas. I, I think there's a part of me that does want Kimba back in a Charlotte uniform. Um, but maybe it's just more for the story. Obviously, I think he's going to retire a Charlotte Hornet at some point, uh, And he calls Charlotte home. But again, I'm not really sure how much it matters, but my preference would be IT. I, I think the continuity in the locker room and that veteran presence that is needed for such a young team is a factor, like why I would target him. Uh, but he does offer some things on the court too. Like obviously both him and Kemba are undersized, but he's a really good pull-up shooter from both inside and outside the arc. He can make things happen late in the shot clock with the ball in his hands, whether that's through creating for others or through like scoring. And to your point, like Kimba has played with Clifford before, but there's just something about the way that that season ended uh, with Isaiah Thomas and how he made connections with a lot of the players on the team and they all looked up to him. I felt like PJ Washington, uh, for example, just kind of grew close to him, even though they're not the same position. On defense, neither Kemba uh, nor Thomas are really going to make that much of a positive impact. But I think that Thomas, like just by the optics and his personality, like he shows some grit and some effort. And that at least gives me a little bit more satisfaction when I watch a player on that end. He's certainly going to get beat, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be because of effort. But like if you were to look at like a Kelly Oubre, for example, the result might be the same, but he just kind of has this lackadaisical attitude about him on that end of the court. So that that's one thing that I can pinpoint uh, about Thomas, just his like mm. personality on the court, but also within the locker room as well. I think for for me, the the key thing is I think if Isaiah Thomas is on the roster, I don't know if Steve Clifford definitely plays him as the backup point guard. I wonder if Steve Clifford tries to navigate with Terry Rozier, with Cody Martin, maybe with James yeah. Buckknight, although I think that's less likely. Whereas with Kemba, I know Clifford trusts Kemba. And Cliff and Kemba's best years were playing with Steve Clifford in the system. So I, I think that's my my biggest hang-up on, on Isaiah. I think off the court, I think he's probably the the better option because it's not the, you know, it's like we just, speaking of soccer at the start, it's like Ronaldo returning to United. Everyone's really happy. And then now we're, we're stuck with him and we're trying to move on from him and it's all a bit awkward. Like, you, you don't... Those reunions don't often end that well when someone's kind of coming off the seasons that the Kemba is like. But um, yeah, I think that for me is just a tiebreaker. I, I don't know Steve Clifford. He'll want to play the you know five foot nine Isaiah Thomas. I, it, it, he's just so so big on on size and defense and defensive rebounding. And I know Kemba doesn't excel at any of those things, but there's an established right. level relationship between them. Yeah, he's got he's got a little bit of a leg up on on it on the height department, but. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can see that side uh, to that to making that point to get Kemba instead of it. So, regardless though, that hole at the p- backup point guard position, I really don't see it making that huge of a difference. No, I mean, look, yeah, look, Ish Smith last year, Isaiah Thomas, um, who even was it the year before? I'm blanking now, but like it, they, they've kind of been it's been a revolving door, hasn't it? Backup point guard for a long yeah. time now, 
And it's you've never felt that the backup point guard play is the thing holding this team back over the last however many years. So, yeah, like I said, regardless of who they go for in the backup point guard position, and obviously with Bridges seemingly out of the picture, this team is likely projected to miss the play-in altogether, I would I would assume. I could probably name nine to ten teams in the East that I feel more confident right now to finish above the Hornets. Now, having said that, how do you think the Hornets are approaching this season? Everyone keeps overusing this like term, the gap year, like, do you feel that once again that the Hornets are going to just take another year, not a year off, but like it just feels like they're just trying to develop these young players and just see how far they can go uh, with that, with some of the veterans sprinkled in. So what, what's the approach this year? Richie, the first two words in my notes for this section are gap year. So uh, you just said that. Uh, no, I think, look, the way I phrase this is if it was me in charge, I would do a gap year. I don't think the Hornets are going to do that at all. I think they're going. What, what, to- is, sir, what, is, what does the gap year mean to you? Because I don't really, I don't really understand this term. I mean, I understand what you know, taking a, a year off, a gap year, but like, is that purposely like trying to like just play the young guys as much, yeah, as, much as possible? Me, it, yeah, it's playing your young players, giving them priority in the rotation over some of your older guys, probably trading some of the vets away to enable you to do that without making things awkward, and that by the end of the year, you you really know what you've got in Kai James, James Booknight. Uh, Nick Richards, Mark Williams, JT Thor, you you know which of those you might want to invest in and which of those you want to maybe kind of move on from. And with that, you you know, you might play Gordon Hayward, not play him on back-to-backs to kind of open up playing time. You might look to to move one of the vets, Mason Plumley or something of that nature. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's what the gap year looks like. I, I don't, you know, and you, you're probably finishing five wins, maybe less than if you were trying to Whenever you give it, I mean, Steve Clifford isn't going to coach a game to lose. He'll put the best players in at the end. And that's why I just, I don't think that's realistic to expect. But in terms of what I think is best for the franchise, that's what I think the long term would be the best approach to be. But I just, I think that's too difficult with the vets on the roster, unless you're trading away Hayward, Rosier. And at that point, your fans are probably up, you know, complaining, yeah. being like, what, Miles Bridges is suspended. And now you're trading away the good players. Like, what are you doing with Lamelo's? You know, as he's coming to his rookie contract, he's going to want out now. Like, I, I think the backlash would be too far, and the team have kind of really committed to trying to compete while develop at the same time. So, I think more likely they will try and win with this group. Bet on internal development. You know, they kept a lot of the player development staff from the Borrego staff. Um, hope that the health, improved health, I should say, of Gordon Hayward helps this team and helps make up for some of the the Miles Bridges uh, vacancy and that that Miles might come back after 40 games, 50 games, I'm, I'm not sure. The the other way they could go for it is they, you know, if, if Miles is confirmed out or is going to not be a back on this team, is they look at some of the kind of big dominoes that haven't fooled yet that are involved in trade talks. So you've got the likes of Russell Westbrook, Julius Randle, who I know you did the Knicks pod with, mm-hmm. uh, John Collins, Eric Gordon, Miles Turner, our good old friend, should always mention him. Um, who are kind of guys who are out there and teams obviously want to trade and and maybe Charlotte pivot to one of those if it is clear that Miles Bridges will never, ever be back. Um, so so that's kind of also where I wonder they, they might potentially do. But it's just a weird time to make trades right now. I know the Mitchell yes. kind of one kind of felt like the biggest one that was left, but those guys are out there and those teams do clearly want to to move on from some of those players. 
I actually see it more of a realistic path, not like this is the my preferred path, but I, I almost feel like they would almost go that route of trying to trade for a Julius Randle or a, well, I guess Russell Westbrook might not be a trade that tries to improve them on the court, but try to find a guy that can fill the scoring of Miles Bridges. I could see that happening more um, than I could see them just trying to just play their young guys, uh, you know, as much as possible. I, I, I do think it's going to probably fall somewhere in the middle. I think it's going to fall somewhere in the middle where they just play Plumley, play Hayward as much as possible, play Rozier as much as possible, and then just sprinkle in the young guys. So I'm not sure that really is defined as a gap year. But as we stand here today, I, I think the best case, best case in terms of just trying to where they finish, and I, it's not necessarily where I think they should be aiming for, is like 10th place. And that's, I think that's generous. Like, you know, Bucks, oh, 76ers. <laughs> it's such a, let's be honest, this is quite a sad existence to be like, 10th place, yeah. let's go. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can do another playing game, Richie. I've done the last two years and they've both been somehow more painful than the last one. I don't know if I can do another. Exactly. Exactly. So you just rather them not be in the play-in altogether. Um, yes, but... Again, we're talking long term here. I, I don't. I just don't think that's the way the franchise and front office and ownership and coaching are are wired at all. I don't think they're going to do the Tim Duncan. You know, th- this is one thing I wonder. Like, if they were to get a big injury early in the season, someone out for the year, and they start two and eight, I wonder if at that stage they kind of see what they've got and they kind of uh, they play the cards that they're dealt. I wonder if that would change their approach to the season than if they started, you know, seven and four and everyone's healthy. Um, but I, I think, like you say, realistically, to be in line for the 10th seed, there's going to have to be some major steps taken by some of the younger players on this roster. Yes. Yeah, because those teams that are kind of like in that eight, nine, 10 spot, like they would have to pass like a Bulls or a Knicks to kind of finish ahead of them. But that's that's like a best case scenario to me. I, I feel like they're going to finish like 11th or 12th in the East. But we will see what acquisitions they make and, and kind of what direction they go with. And a, as they are progressing through this 82 game schedule and when it's all said and done, I want to know from you um, in terms of these, I'm going to list some front court players for the 22-23 season. And I want you to rank them in terms of the amount of impact they will have this season. So here are the four players. Uh, and just in terms of this upcoming season, Jalen McDaniels, Kai Jones, JT Thor, Mark Williams, those four, I want you to rank them and, and give me a reason why uh, as like what kind of impact they're going to have. One obviously being the most impactful. So I think number one is for me is pretty clear, and that's Jalen McDaniel's. Um, I think he's good, you know a, the best defender. I think in terms of like most versatile defender out of that group right now. Um, he makes very few mistakes, which we know from Steve Clifford. Like if you're making mistakes, scheme errors, losing guys and back cuts, that's what Steve Clifford hates. If you miss shots. He doesn't mind as long as you're doing the right thing. And I think Jalen McDaniels does that. He plays with high energy. He's always everywhere on the floor. You always feel him when he's out there. He's, you know, 86th percentile in defensive rebounding, 95th percentile in block rate. He improved as a three-point shooter. And there's going to be going to be a more opportunity there at those three, four positions because of Miles Bridges' mm-hmm. vacancy mm-hmm. either for the whole year or part of the year. So I think Jalen McDaniels is a, is a very clear and strong number one for me. Okay, before you go to two, three, four, I, I would agree. Like, obviously, he's the most polished of these players. He's seen the most court time. I agree 100% that 
you know, that opportunity right there where Miles Bridges is gone and all those, you know, the, the gap in minutes that have been left behind by him. He has an opportunity to fill that. And I also have a feeling that Clifford is really just going to like his play style and attacking the boards on both ends and just having some versatility, as you say, on, on both sides of the court, but especially on the defensive side and just using his length to disrupt. So I guess I'm more interested about two, three and four. So I, I want to hear that. Number two, yeah, this is where I guess trickier. I think my, my number two and three are quite close, and I could I could flip these depending on how long I think about it. Number two, I go Mark Williams. I think team need in terms of a, a, a lob threat, a defensive rebounder, uh, an elite uh, kind of rim protector. You know, Clifford is familiar with Mark even before this year. Like he said, he had those two, three-day visit down in Duke, and he visited them there, and I think... Steve Clifford was very much a proponent reading between the lines of the drafting of Mark Williams. So I think that's, that's good. He plays a simple game. He plays to his strength. He doesn't try and do stuff outside of his remit, which we, we might get to here with another one of these players. I think he, it just strikes me as a kind of player who Steve Clifford will like. And even though he's a rookie, which I understand Steve Clifford has a history of maybe not playing rookies. I think he, he plays a position of need that this team needs to get fresher at and, I just think his skill set fits really well and playing with LaMelo will actually very much help him rather than playing with Jalen Crutcher in summer league. So I went Mark Williams, number two. All right. I'm in agreement again. I do have Mark Williams, number two, and uh, you say you have two and three close. So to me, to me, my one and two were kind of fairly easy. The three and four is which kind of flip flop before, but uh, there's nothing really more to add than what you had said there, James. But I, I do think he might be brought along slowly in the beginning of the season. Uh, but I think when it's all said and done, when you look at the full 82 game season, I, I think his defensive presence on that back end will just be too hard to keep him off the court. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to start over Plumley by any means, but he could see more minutes by, you know, January, February, mm-hmm. and he's going to alter shots. Like you saw that in summer league, not, not even on blocks, like just making, uh, ball handlers who are driving towards the rim, second guests, some even traveled because they were hesitant on going up. Uh, so Mark Williams is definitely my number two. Three and four is kind of where I flip-flopped, uh, but I think I pr- feel pretty confident on, on my number three here. But I'll let you go and uh, finish it off here with the three, four. Yeah, I mean, just to Mark Williams, I mean, I was at NBA Summer League this year, and I don't understand the national media and draft analysts who kind of said Mark Williams didn't look great in some league. I thought he looked great in limited minutes with poor point guard play. And he just impacted the game from the minute he came in. Just the other team's offense changed and everything the other team players did. And he was just a presence. So I, I thought he had a really good summer league. He just didn't put up great box score numbers. So anyway, moving on to number three, JT Thor for me, I think, Clifford will love his size and his length, his defensive potential. He shot the ball well as some league progressed, and we saw flashes of that last year. He's got versatility to play the three and the four. They wanted to see him at the three early in summer league, and they it didn't really go so well, but they, they shifted him to the four. Um, but I just think he he plays like a role player, and he could fit into that. And we already saw him get some rotation minutes last year. And again, he also benefits from that. Miles Bridges gap, right? If Jalen McDaniels were to get injured, if PJ Washington would get in, injured, you'd think JT Thor would, would be in line. Whereas at the, the center position, you've got Nick Richards, Mark Williams, Kai Jones, Mason Plumley. There's there's you know four players there who are mostly one position players and are kind of gonna be behind one, two, three, four guys. So I went JT fourth. JT Thor third. 
That's a mouthful. <laughs> that is a mouthful. Uh, yeah, we're going to be in agreement here on this four. I thought we were going to have some differences at the three and four, but yeah. JT Thor for me uh, at number three. I do think uh, to your point about the opening at the three slash four position uh, that applies to Jalen McDaniels, but that also applies to JT Thor. I will say this. I I came away more underwhelmed by JT Thor than I did Kai Jones at Summer League. But I do have him, you know, slightly above Kai Jones just for my projected impact. Maybe it's mainly because of the minutes that he could potentially get. I, I do think that his skill set is very similar to Jalen's, but he still is lacking a, a handle and lacking a shot at this point. So he's obviously not going to climb up until the you know into the tier of Jalen McDaniels. He's got to get stronger, uh, but ultimately, I think he will get more minutes than Kai Jones, uh, who I also uh, have ranked fourth. Like you, you know, I'll go ahead and talk about Kai Jones here. You kind of mentioned it. He's just behind a lot of players. And you didn't even mention P.J. Washington, uh, you know, playing at the five, you know, occasionally. And objectively, I think Kai looked much better at the five than the four in Vegas. I think the biggest reason for that was like the fives that he was playing with, Mark Williams, Nick Richards. And, you know, this would be the case with uh, Plumlee, too, to an extent. Like if they can't stretch the court with um, their shot, which they don't, then Kai has got to stretch the court with his shot. And he really hasn't proven that yet. Uh, you know, obviously it's only been one full season in, in a summer league. So I, I think, you know, maybe pairing him with PJ Washington would actually be a good pairing uh, on both ends of the court because you do have a stretch five with PJ. But when he's not playing with someone that can do that, his impact drops drastically. So he's much he's a much better pick and roll big than he is a pick and pop big at this point in his career. And him getting a full head of steam, you know, attacking the rim. Like that's when you saw those highlight plays with Kai Jones. So even though Kai Jones is flashier than JT Thor, I think his impact this upcoming season, um, who knows? He may, maybe he spends some time in Greensboro again. Yeah. And I loved what I saw out of Kai Jones in Greensboro last year. I didn't love what I saw in Summer League. They, they tried to play him at the four next to Nick Richards. And this is one of the reasons I had Kai fourth is because I think this coaching staff, when I say Steve Clifford, I think he really likes Nick Richards. I think that was clear in Summer League. And I, I spoke to Nick while I was there. And it was clear that Nick was enjoying the new system, was enjoying the new approach. Um, he wasn't being asked to stretch the floor and try a three-point shot. He was just allowing himself to, to be him. Um, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if Nick Richard is heavily involved in the rotation to start the year. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I, I think the big thing with Kai Jones is just mistake-prone. You know, with reckless turnovers, trying to do a little bit too much, maybe taking an ill-advised three-point shot here or there. Uh, the the three-point mechanics just look different in summer league mm-hmm. to they did last year in in Greensboro, which which was just strange. I, I don't know what to put that down to, um, but I, I I just think it's the mistakes. There's there's just too many mistakes, mainly on offense. Actually, defensively, he was contesting a lot of shots in Vegas. He was rebounding the ball pretty well. Yeah. Um, it was just on the offensive end. I don't feel like you can, the, the things will kind of break down a little bit unless he's dunking the ball at the rim, which I, I think if you're just limiting him to catching lobs, well, Mark Williams can do that too, yet he gives you a lot more on the defensive end. So I I, I hate it because I, I really like Kai as a person and I, I like the pick when they made it. And I still do think there's a potential role, but it's just a very crowded front court. And that's my concern with Nick, Kai, Mark, Mason, PJ, if he plays some five, 
uh, it's just not been a great opportunity for Kai Jones to come into to develop. Agreed. So, yeah, it probably speaks more to the the opportunity that he may or may not get this upcoming season. So, yeah, we have the same four here uh, with Jalen, Mark, JT, and Kai as a projected impact for the upcoming season. So we're kind of uh, getting towards the end here, James, and we have a handful of people here in uh, Twitter spaces. If anyone would like to uh, request to speak, we'll definitely take a question. But we do have a listener question uh, that we got prior to the recording of this show here, um, and it's from Eric Cooper. Uh, it says, does Cody Martin start over Terry, given Clifford's defensive mindset, similar to what he did with MKG? So I'll give my thoughts just really quick before passing it off to you, James. But the short answer, I, I would say no. I think that the you know Terry Rozier gives this team too much gravity scoring for him to be shifted to a bench role. And obviously a team that is losing a 20-point score can't afford to shift his ability uh, to get buckets from behind the arc. I will say this though. Um, I, I think Clifford has learned and adapted as the years have gone on. Like he certainly still has his, you know, methods, his ways, his philosophies. He's always going to be a defensive first guy, but I do think that he realizes that the team that he's inheriting is centered around LaMelo. It's centered around, uh, you know, pushing the pace. It's predicated on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't think he wants to mess with that. He just wants to come in and put his imprint on the defensive side of the court without messing with the offensive side. So that that's kind of my like quick answer to this. I, I don't think that Cody is going to start over Rozier. You know, Cody, like we just mentioned at the top of the podcast, great signing, but Terry just gives way too much offensive punch, especially when Miles Bridges isn't in the picture. So this is a great question. And I'm, I'm really, was it, was it Eric who asked it? I'm, I'm really happy that we asked it because I've, I've shared this on my own podcast, um, uh, all Hornets podcast network that I, I do wonder about this because we know that Lamelo and Rozier as a backcourt are two subpar defenders. And I think Steve Clifford will be looking at this all summer and going, right, I'm going to give them a chance. They are the starters heading into training camp. But I'm going to be asking a lot of them defensively. And if one of them takes a jump that they can start guarding better perimeter players, then I think that kind of solves it because you can normally try and hide one. You, you look at someone like Terrence Ross in Orlando, who always came off the bench. No matter, he was one of the better players on that team and he was still coming off the bench. And he, averaged, like, he averaged like 40 points against the Hornets, right? Like he just always <laughs> lights up. Always. One of those guys. Absolutely. Then I looked into this more, Richie, and this is where I think it's really interesting. Maybe Cody Martin doesn't start instead of Rozier. Maybe Cody Martin starts alongside Rozier. So I looked at some numbers last year. Uh, Cody Martin and Lamelo on the floor with no Rozier was minus 1.3. So not great. Cody Ma- um, Terry Rozier and Lamelo with no Cody Martin was plus 1.3. So again, yeah. fine. Melo plus Rozier plus Martin on the floor was plus 5. 123 offensive rating. 118 defensive rating. Now I can hear people going, well, well, where's Gordon Hayward going? What if we shift Gordon Hayward to power forward? The couple of guys who played over 50% of their minutes at power forward last year, Bogdanovich for the Utah Jazz, DeMar DeRozan, Tobias Harris, Joe Ingles, Doug McDermott, all of them played between 70 to 90% of their minutes at power forward. And I wonder with Hayward slowing down a little bit that Mm -hmm. you shift Hayward to power forward, and then you can start all three of those guys 
where you've got a good defender in Cody Martin on the floor. And this is not something I'd really come across before prepping for this podcast. But all of a sudden, I thought, well, if, if Miles is missing, everyone's assuming, like we said, PJ Washington, Jalen McDaniels. But we could still see some PJ at the five. And we could maybe see some Gordon Hayward at the four. Um, so it was just just something I thought w- was interesting as I've not heard many people talk about it and could be an option open to the team because there's a lot of versatile players in this roster. You could put patch together a lot of ways. But uh, but that was just something that I came across. Interesting. I guess, you know, my only issue with that is like, you know, playing against bigger, stronger opponents. And yeah, yes, Gordon is definitely slowing down and the injuries are hampering him a little bit uh, in terms of his athleticism. You know, he's always been like a physical type of player. But uh, if you do play bigger teams, uh, that could be a bit of an issue. But that's an interesting stat to have all three of those players on the court at the same time. It kind of balances out some of the weaknesses with Cody Martin's defense. So very good. Very good. Okay, we're going to end with rapid fire questions here, James. These are um, mostly Hornets questions, but I, I do have some other just random questions for you. So better, because you're a Man U fan, better Man U player of all time. Uh, who ranks higher on your list, Beckham or Rooney? Rooney, by a mile. David Beckham was overrated. I, he came to America to hide from the, the judgment of British people who all knew David Beckham was overrated. So, yeah, he looked good. Yeah, he took great free kicks, but he wasn't that great a player. Wayne Rooney is one of the best players of a generation. Not close. Okay. All right. I, I was hoping to make it close, but I guess <laughs> I, don't, I don't know my man new history as much as you do, obviously. So, all right. Uh, who will finish in uh, higher in the Premier League this year, Arsenal or Man U? Arsenal, I, I, again, I don't think that was particularly close either. Even as a Man United fan, I mean, we lost to Real Sociedad the other night to a questionable handball. Let's talk about VAR again. Uh, no, I think I think Arsenal have got a really good squad this year. I think it will be more interesting as Europa League starts, and I don't think Arsenal's depth is maybe quite as good. And United, I thought was a little stronger until I watched the Europa League game the other night. But I just think um, you know Mikel Arteta now into a you know, multi-year in his culture and system is a little bit more established than Ten Hag, who's still kind of building up on the way. Yeah. Um, and an injury seemed to be a problem for a lot of United's forward players. So I'm, I'm giving you Arsenal there. I appreciate it. I thought maybe your like homerism would come into play there. That That's why I thought it would be a little bit more difficult for you. But did you ever watch the uh, all or nothing on Amazon uh, with Arsenal for last season? I did. I did watch yeah. it. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you like those things at all? Like, like getting an inside look at the teams? Um, you see, I, I love Hard Knocks. So I watched Hard Knocks yeah. for the Detroit Lions this year. I thought that was great. I hated the Arsenal All or Nothing, but I have enjoyed some of the All or Nothings. I just felt, yeah, that particular one, it was just a lot of Mikel Arteta team talks before yes. and post games. Yes. And I just thought it got a little bit repetitive and it was yes. just like, oh, what quirky thing is Arteta going to do this time? And uh, <laughs> I just, I found it a little bit, a little bit dull personally. And also because it was so recent, I knew how it played out. Whereas right. sometimes when you watch those all or nothings, you're like watching, I don't know, the, the New Zealand rugby team and you don't know what happens and it's a little bit more interesting that way. So I, I wasn't a huge fan uh, of that. I, I thought Mikel Arteta just, I'm not going to be honest, he really annoys me. Um, so, you know, he's such, he's so always so uh, animated on the sidelines yeah. and is calling yeah. for everything. He, he's, he winds me up a little bit. So uh, I did watch it. I, I wasn't a huge fan, but I do like those sort of, I don't even call them documentaries. They're not documentaries. They're coordinated PR stories, really. I think you need to have an independent person to call it a proper documentary, but uh, I, I do enjoy them from time to time. 
I'm not even sure if I watched the last episode of that. Now that I'm thinking about it, because I know oh, you I didn't, just didn't want, you wanted to miss the uh, Tottenham game where they lost and yeah. get the Champions League. That's why you didn't watch the last episode. I actually knew one of the guys on there on the All or Nothing getting interviewed. I was watching it, and huh. it was before the Tottenham Arsenal game. And I was like, I, I played poker with the guy, and I was like, I know him. And I messaged him afterwards. He was like, Yeah, they really stitched me up because um, they interviewed me before the Tottenham game, and I told them we were going to win three 0 and make Champions League. <laughs> and then, they, then literally the next scene was them losing and they missed out in Champions League. So. Yeah, that's probably why I didn't watch it. It was probably a subconscious thing, knowing how it ended. But um, yeah. all right, but back to this rapid fire. Uh, better uniform. So try to think about the the city uniforms that Charlotte wore last year with uh, like the script name, the gradient like jersey and the pinstripes or the one from two seasons ago where it was uh, like the mint and gold. Do you like Ooh. get into uniforms that much? Like which one do you mint like? And gold. Mint and gold. Um, yeah. I didn't love Mint and Gold at the start, but I really feel like the fan base embraced it. And I thought they looked pretty good on the court. So I'll go Mint and Gold. Yeah, the one the one thing I just don't like about the Mint, I mean, I like the look of the Mint and Gold, but just because of the fact that it's not teal and purple, like it just kind of doesn't look like the Hornets, but I, I do think the colors go well together. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Better owner slash worse owner, Michael Jordan versus Bob Johnson. I thought you were gonna say the Glazers for <laughs> United then. That would have been a tough one. Um oh it has to be it has to be Bob Johnson. It has to be Bob Johnson. I mean, the team very much left Charlotte Ascension to Bob Johnson. I think we just did a, a we made our me and Chase and our podcast made a little Hornets Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. Um and in that podcast we actually discussed Michael Jordan is in the Hornets Hall of Fame. Whether whether we like it or not, like the first black owner, the first ex player owner. He was GM of the team. He's now owned the team for forever long. I, I don't think you can tell the story of the Charlotte Hornets without Michael Jordan. So, yeah, I think Michael Jordan. But, I mean, you're you're picking between – I mean, I'm not going to finish the sentence, but it's not the greatest choice, let's put it that way. Yeah, that's that's why I posed it. <laughs> um, so, uh, name a Hornets player, whether it was like a drafted player or maybe just even an acquisition, a trade, that when the Hornets acquired them, like you were so excited, you were so high on this player, but – this player ended up being worse than you expected. That's a really great question. And then I, I, I'll say it just because it's fresh in my mind and I don't want to take this too long for quick fire. Probably Kai Jones. Um, I had Kai Jones, I think rated 11th or 12th in the draft. And uh-huh. I was just so excited that the Hornets got aggressive and traded back into the first round, which is something we've not seen them do. I think since before the draft, they traded in for Bismarck Piamba, but I loved the kind of aggressive move. Um, and I thought there was potential there that he could stretch the floor a little bit more and, and handle the ball. So I, Kai Jones has probably won so far, but there's, there's still time to be proved wrong there. Um, yeah. I, Kelly Oubre as well. I said many a times last year that Kelly Oubre was going to be the best defender on the team last year, which is not a take that aged well at all. But I, I still maintain like going into last season, Kelly Oubre is probably the most pro- proven NBA defender because he has had moments where he has been... Good on defense, but I mean, look at all the advanced analytics. Look at the tape. Last year, he was lackadaisical on defense. So that was yep. also probably another one. I really liked the Kelly Ubre signing. Worked out for different reasons because his offense was obviously... He was just a different player last year. It was like someone transformed into Kelly Ubre's body. <laughs> all right, last one. Hornets will make the play-in uh, for the 22-23 season. True or false? Oh. <sighs> I'm going to go true just because I think they could make, like you say, that that big all-in chip. Well, not all chips in, but a, a trade to, to fill out the roster. And we're due for some good injury luck, right? You know, Gordon Hayward missing half the year. 
this Miles Bridges thing. Someone's got to go right for us. So I'll, I'll say make the play in, scrape in by by the, the skin of the teeth. All right. As we wrap, I know most people who listen to our podcast are probably very familiar with you, James, but I'm sure there might be a handful that don't know. So go ahead and let everyone know what you've got going on and how they can find your work online. Yeah, so um, I'm site publishing manager right now over at uh, SI All Hornets. So if you type in Sports Illustrated Hornets or allhornets.com, you'll be able to go through our website. We've got a team of 10 writers for the upcoming year. I'm really excited about uh, what we're building over there. So our goal is to become kind of the go-to place for all Hornets news analysis, breaking news, in-depth articles, interviews. Um, You know, we've got a player at every single game this year covering for, for media access. So... Really pumped about that. Uh, other than that, you can also check out the All Hornets Podcast Network. We, it's uh, one podcast stream, but with two or three different hosts on there. Me and Chase do a show. We have uh, Tim and Mark over at Hornets and Heartbreak who do the show. We've got a couple of things in the work for the season. Lake One Robinson, who's based around the corner from the Greensboro Swarm, is going to be doing a podcast. And he's essentially going to be a semi-beat reporter for the Greensboro Swarm this year. So if you 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 know want a slightly different um different take finding out about the Greensboro team. We definitely suggest you go for the all Hornets podcast network and you can rate review and subscribe there. So all Hornets.com all Hornets podcast network. You can find me on Twitter at British underscore buzz. And that is, those are all my plugs. So definitely give him a follow on Twitter, give the podcast a listen uh, and stay tuned for all Hornets. Is that what it's called? All Hornets. All Hornets. That's right. And uh, if you haven't already to help Richie out here, Make sure you subscribe to BuzzBeat Plus too, because they got some great content on there, and you can get your your Hornets podcast, no ads, right away, straight away after they've been recorded. So make sure you sign up for that as well if you haven't already. All right, I appreciate it, man, and I will uh, talk to you later. We'll have to get you on soon. Yep, sounds good. Always happy to come on, and yeah, let's bring on training camp. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.